Merry Christmas, Joanna. Merry Christmas to all of you. It's good to see you this morning, and I want to welcome you to worship here at First Baptist Church. My name is Steve, and it is just great to celebrate with you on this Christmas Eve morning and to have you in worship today. Got a prayer request. The governor. Did you hear the news? It's a, it's a bad thing to be rich, you know, because then you go off to your mountain home in a skiing place, and you go skiing, and you break your leg. And if you haven't heard, pray for Arnold. He broke his leg, and uh, it must not be very bad because they said he's going to finish his Christmas vacation and then come home and get it fixed. So I don't know. As tough as he is, I guess he'll be all right. But uh, pray for our governor and all our leaders uh, this Christmas season. We want you to enjoy worship today to really understand that God loves you. And uh, so I'm going to ask you in just a moment to stand and greet one another. If you don't mind moving forward, I'm lonely up here. And if, if you don't come up, I'll just wander on back to where you are. So feel free to come on up if you would. Let's stand and greet one another, wish each other Merry Christmas. And thank you all for moving forward. I really do think it is important in worship to be together. Worship and church is about community, and I think it's about coming together. And where we sit some, sometimes symbolizes that very uh, appropriately. So thanks moving, for moving up. Next Sunday, we'll be in the chapel. That's Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve. And we're going to gather for a service of remembrance. And so I hope you'll be here next week as well, uh, 10.30 in the chapel, for just a wonderful time of remembering and uh, looking back over 2006 and worshiping the Lord together. Christina, I need a helper. Thank you for volunteering. You did volunteer, right? I did. Um, I would like to ask a question. And the question is this. What are some of the traditions that you used to celebrate Christmas. Now, we don't want lots of them, just one briefly told tradition. And I'll give you an example, and then uh, Christina's got the mic. She can uh, go to you. Um, one of my traditions is that years ago, I was scrambling around Chicago trying to find a certain gift, and I realized it was Christmas Eve. And I was kind of irritated. I said, Steve, why did you put it off till the last minute? And as I went from store to store, I realized because I like this. And so now all my shopping is really done, but I intend to go to Target or somewhere today just to kind of mix it up with the crowds and shop a little bit. I'll find some other things to buy. And so that's one of my traditions. I realize I'm just going to go out on Christmas Eve and shop. doesn't matter whether I'm done or not. I just like to be out there. So that's one of mine. Who would, who would share a tradition? Well, we always gather with friends, and we always have a birthday cake for Jesus and sing to him. Wow. Thanks. Our family has a lot of medical and police personnel, so we always celebrate Christmas on the 26th. And one thing, my parents have always been very healthy eaters, but Christmas morning was the one day we had sausage, bacon, waffles. We had this huge breakfast. And, and of course, when we were kids, Mom and Dad would enjoy it and take their time because the rule was you couldn't open the presents until mom and dad were done and everybody was done. <laughs> Thank you. Christmas traditions. We always took our tree down on uh, January 6th because that's uh, little Christmas when the wise men made it to the manger. Uh-huh. So we waited until the 6th of January and then we took our tree down. Thanks, Terry. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Gloria Hopkins, 
And uh, Christmas always means when the family get together. It shouldn't be all the time. It should be every year, every day of the day to thank God that you are able to light up your Christmas tree and see the children open their gifts and their toys and their happiness and blessing and everybody come together and serve Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Gloria. Well, Christmas is when God comes to folks who were poor. I mean, you know, turtle dove and so forth um, and uh, shepherds. And so for some other reasons in our family, part of our family is Jewish um, we gave up giving so many presents to each other and started bringing envelopes with gifts, you know, checks for good causes um, and putting them on a table and uh, with a manger scene and uh, the way God comes to folks who are lowly and poor. i got to be, so I'm not too hypocritical. We failed to do it this year, I think. So I don't want to claim we're doing it every year. But we've uh, decreased the giving and... Of, of to each other, we've already got plenty of stuff, and increase to folks who have needs. Mm. Thank you. All right, one last one, yeah. Mary Jean. Yeah. The last 15 years that we were in Japan, we were working with a, a what we call a preaching place, a house that had been purchased in a little congregation that gathered there. And uh, we started out uh, on Christmas with various programs, and then we'd always eat together because people came from quite a distance sometimes, and you wouldn't get home till 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and so we'd eat together. And every year we would have curry rice for for our Christmas dinner. But a, a, after they got used to the Gainos and the way Gainos did it, we finally got it to be a nice potluck with all sorts of different things, and that was something that everybody looked forward to. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much for sharing some of your traditions. I appreciate it. One other tradition that uh, is true in our family, and it's really from my parents, when I was growing up, uh, we would always gather uh, Christmas morning around the tree for the opening of the presents, and three boys are very excited, you know, and it's a big deal, lots of presents. We always lived away from relatives, so the day was spent pretty much at home. And as we would gather around the tree before opening the presents, Dad insisted that we open the Bible and he would read the Christmas story. And, of course, we were very anxious to hurry up and get done, but there would always be the reading of one of the accounts of the birth of Jesus and a prayer thanking God for Christ coming into our world. Christmas is a wonderful season, and it's certainly different in our country than perhaps other countries, and certainly different today than it was 2,000 years ago. But this morning, as we approach Christmas, on this Christmas Eve, I want to talk to you about how to have the best Christmas. What really would be the best Christmas? And, of course, the key to Christmas is who? It's Christ. The key to Christmas is Christ. As the saying is often spread around, Jesus is the reason for the season. Now, you wouldn't think of going, at least I hope you wouldn't think, of spending the day at Disneyland and be there the whole day and never stop to visit Mickey and Minnie Mouse. It would be unthinkable. Or would you go to um, Paris and not see what? The Eiffel Tower. You, it just would be unheard of. You wouldn't, uh, surely you don't think about Arizona without thinking about the Grand Canyon. If you go to Las Vegas, you're going to gamble, not me. I can go to Las Vegas and not gamble, but uh, I'm probably the exception. 
Uh, and so it is that the key to Christmas is Christ. Now, you understand that already. And I want to look at some scriptures today that uh, talk about Christ's birth and Christ's coming to the world. The first one is from the Gospel of Matthew. We read there in chapter 1 about the birth of Jesus Christ, and it's told in just a few short verses, concluding with this. Joseph had no union with her, of course Mary, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, as you think about the birth of Jesus Christ, which is such a key part of our year, at least socially, the celebration of Christmas is huge. But as you come to the Scripture and begin to look at, well, how significant was the birth of Jesus Christ, you know that it's really only Matthew and Luke who say anything at all about it. The other two Gospel writers, Mark and John, don't explicitly explain the birth of Jesus. Paul doesn't speak directly of the birth of Jesus. The the book of Hebrews that we're going to look at in a moment doesn't speak particularly of the birth of Jesus either. So actually, as we celebrate it and make such a big deal out of it, we, we have very few stories to pick from in the Bible that talk about the literal birth of Jesus. But there are references, of course, to Christ coming into the world. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 is one of the most significant. We read, But when the set time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. Or, as the King James puts it so well, in the fullness of time, God sent his Son. When, when it was just the right moment, the Son was sent. Now, this morning, I want to spend our time in Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we read these words. When Christ came into the world. When Christ came into the world. That's quite an expression. Of course, the book of Hebrews talks about the law. And it talks about sacrifices. And it talks about the reality that as a worshiper would come in that day, a Jew, they would come with an animal, perhaps a bird, perhaps a bull, perhaps a goat, And they would come with that animal whose throat would be cut and it would be sacrificed to God. And as they came to worship, every worshiper realized, A, I'm a sinner. I have to bring a sacrifice for my sins. And that it's only through the death and blood that is shed that my sins can be forgiven. Because the law says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so for centuries this went on. People coming to worship, offering the sacrifice, and the sacrifice is given. Now, the writer of Hebrews is thinking about all these things and all this tradition and law. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, and if you care to follow along, it's on page uh, 224 in the Bible. In Hebrews 10, 4, we read this. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, and here's the key phrase we're looking at this morning, therefore, when Christ came into the world. Now, the writer of Hebrews is not just talking about the birth of Christ. That's what we're celebrating today. But it would be very myopic of us, very short-sighted of, of us, to simply think about Jesus' birth this morning, wouldn't it? Or tomorrow morning. Because we know that the birth only has significance because of later things that came in his life. And so when we read these three words, when Christ came, we are reading words that really capture the cradle and the cross. Think about it. When we read the words, when Christ came, it's a little bit like if you watch football this afternoon, there are going to be scenes where they zoom in on the play, and you might see the sweat on the player's face, or you might see the dirt in his helmet. But if they back up, you catch the whole field. You can see all the football field. 
as they step back. When the writer of Hebrews says, when Christ came, he's not zooming in. He's backing up to capture it all. And so when we hear the words, when Christ came, uh, we think not just of a babe in a manger, not just of a boy growing up in Israel, but we think also of the baptism of the man. We think of the mangled body of Christ on the cross, put in a tomb. And finally, we think of the resurrection of the Son of Man. When Christ came, captures all that. When Christ came includes Jesus in Bethlehem and in Bethel. When Christ came includes Jesus helping and healing people. Jesus teaching the multitudes and taming the stormy sea of Galilee. When Christ came reminds us not only of Mary and Joseph, but James and John, Simon and uh, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. It reminds us of Mary Magdalene, Mary and Martha, the blind man, Bartholomew. All of these things are captured in that phrase, when Christ came. And so this morning, as we think about Christmas and the best Christmas, of course, central to Christmas, the key to Christmas is Christ. When Christ came. No Christ, no Christmas. And as we gather on this Christmas Eve and then go into Christmas Day tomorrow, there has to be in some sense in our lives that central to all that's going on, all the traditions, is Christ. Because without Christ, we may be celebrating, but we're not celebrating Christmas. And so as the writer of Hebrews writes this phrase, when Christ came, he's, he's capturing all of that for us. So how do we have the best Christmas? Well, I think traditions and rituals and customs and some of the things that you shared, they're wonderful. And we ought to build into our lives these things that we do. Some of them are small. They could surely be changed. But they're part of what makes up this season for us and makes it so special. All the various things we do when Christ came. But central is Christ. And so this morning, as we pause and worship the Lord, uh, may I ask you, when did Christ come into your life? Has Christ come into your life? Has he come again into your life? And do you, on a regular basis, perhaps a daily basis, do you open up yourself and say, Lord Jesus Christ, come again in my life. Be in me fully so that I may not only celebrate you this Christmas season, but that I may walk with you day by day. Do you know when Christ came into your life? Now, I have one other question this morning, and it is this. What are you doing? Now, I can see what you're doing. You're sitting there right now listening. Thank you. It's very kind of you. Um, but I think you agree what we do matters. For example, if you got up out of here today and said, I'm going to get a lot of Christmas presents today, I'm going to go and rob a store. <laughs> you may do that, but that's not going to bring you to the best Christmas possible, is it? And if you get up and go out of here and act like Ebenezer Scrooge, you're also not going to have the best Christmas possible. What we do matters. And as we come to the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about what is done. And there's the, the other key to Christmas that I want to offer you today is not simply Christ, but another key to Christmas is to delight in doing God's will. Christmas living means that you delight in living for God. Now, in this passage, Hebrews chapter 10, it's borrowing heavily from Psalm 40. And so we want to look at that just briefly today. But let's read a couple of these scriptures. The first from Psalm 40, verse 8, and then from Hebrews 10. Would you read this with me? I delight to do your will, O my God, 
Your law is within my heart. I have come to do your will, my God. Now, this psalm, Psalm 40, is a psalm of David. And it's a psalm about sacrifices and offerings, and it's a psalm about David doing God's will. Now, certainly you can go to the Bible and say, we, if you were a Jewish and like David was, you could say, we are supposed to offer these sacrifices. That's something they did. It's true. But in Psalm 40, David actually says, uh, or God says to David, sacrifices and offerings are not really what you want. And so you could go and offer your animal as a sacrifice to God, and if you walked out of there then and didn't live for God, which is more important, the fact that you went to church and did your sacrifice or the fact that you live or don't live for God? Now, of course, we understand it's the way we live that's significant, not just that we did this religious thing. Just as today, it's wonderful we are in worship together, singing the praises, reading the Scripture. But what's more wonderful is when we walk out of here and actually do the will of God. And so it's not stop doing one or stop doing the other, but as David says in Psalm 40, I need to do God's will. Now, in Psalm 40, there's this interesting phrase in verse 6 that says of God, you didn't particularly want sacrifice and offering, but ears you have dug for me. Ears you dug for me. Now, it's an interesting David would say that, and what I picture when I read that is our ears that are clogged up. Now, if your ear is clogged, what does that mean? You can't hear. And so the idea is almost like God cleaning out David's ears. Why? So David could hear. Well, why does he need to hear? He needs to hear God's will. And the idea is that if, if David doesn't hear God and hear the word of God, he's not going to do what God wants him to do, which is a key. Now, when you come over to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, when Jesus is, uh, when these words are said of Jesus, uh, the word ear gets changed to the word body. And as we think about these Old Testament sacrifices and we think about Jesus, he says, I've come to do your will, a body you have prepared for me. Not ears that you've dug out, but you've prepared a body. And some have wondered, well, why does this get changed? It'd be fascinating to do a longer study on this, but actually the writer of Hebrews is not quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm 40, in Hebrew, but in Greek, the Septuagint. And it's still wonder, well, why did he change? But surely part of the answer is that as we think of David hearing God's word and saying, I'm willing to do it, so Jesus, he didn't just hear with the ear, his whole body is given over to what? Doing God's will. Well, what was God's greatest will? To come and die on the cross, to offer himself the sacrifice. And as you go through this book of Hebrews, especially chapter 10, it talks about Jesus as the living sacrifice, the blood of bulls and goats, the little birds that were offered. None of that could actually take away sin. But as Jesus came and offered his body once and for all, sin was taken away. And salvation made possible for the whole world. And so that Jesus' body, that conformed to the will of God, was offered as a sacrifice to take away sin. Now, when we think of that phrase, when Christ came, it captures all of that. It's huge, isn't it? As we think of that phrase, when Christ came. Now, it just leaves one other question. If you're willing to uh, delight to do what God asks you to do, and Jesus was, Jesus delighted to do what God asked, even to die on a cross, If you and I are willing to do that, the follow-up question, it seems to me, is, well, what is God's will? 
And let me read to you a couple of verses that point us in that direction from the Old Testament, Micah. He has showed you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What is God's will? Well, the Scripture says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what the Scripture requires, or the Lord requires. Jesus put it this way in John 15, 8. This is my Father's glory. I think it's not a violation to say this is the will of God for us, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so I want to encourage you to see yourself as one today who is centered in Christ. Christ and Christmas, that's what it's all about. But as you walk out of here, it's not just this belief in your head, oh, Christmas is about Christ. As you walk out of here, it's more than that. It's the reality that I'm going to delight to do what Christ wants me to do. I'm here to do God's will, even as Jesus was here to do God's will. So I want to encourage you. Um, what would that look like when you're on the Internet to do God's will? As you're driving through rush hour traffic on the 210 and people are zipping in front of you, what does it look like to do God's will? As you're waiting in those long lines, shopping, whether it's Christmas or any other time, what is it to do God's will? As you're at work and there's that very difficult employee, how do you relate to that person? What is God's will? And as you go forth today, I want to encourage you to go forth with that question. Uh, if you delight to do God's will, what is God's will for you this afternoon and the rest of this week? I think last Sunday was special. Wasn't it great? Sunday night, the 64th annual carol service. Uh, it, I have had so many people comment to me this week about how wonderful it was. Uh, people walk in, of course, at night it looks different in here, and the church just looks wonderful and uh, was well decorated. The greeters greeted well, the ushers ushed well, and it, the cookies cooked well. It was just a fabulous evening together. Ted had uh, prepared the music and the choir sang beautifully, the vocalists and the soloists, and it just all came together for a wonderful night. Now, before it started, I was just kind of hanging out, listening to the brass uh, group in the foyer and just greeting people and hanging out. And my parents were here with us, and they were sitting back about where Dot and Glenn are sitting. And as I was kind of wandering around, my mom calls me over and says, I want you to meet someone. And so right behind her was a lady named... Uh, I uh, just forgot her name. Denise, I think it was. Yeah? Anyhow, I think her name was Denise. And I said, uh, she, she, my mom introduced me. She said, hi, this is my son. This is Denise. And I said, hi, Denise. Have you ever been to church here before? And she said, no, I haven't. And I said, well, how did you hear about the service? We've been promoting it, you know. And she said to me, well, she said, somebody gave me one of these Joy to the World invitations. And uh, she said, actually, I was over at a dress shop this afternoon on Lake Avenue. And I was talking to the people in the shop and saying, you know, I just need to go to church. It's that time of year. I need to get in the Christmas spirit. I wonder where I could go. And the ladies in the dress shop said, oh, come here, handed her a card, said it's six o'clock. We'll see you there. And so Denise walked out with card in hand and uh, she was here in church very early. Now, how did that happen? Well, it happened uh, for lots of reasons, but one of them is that Grace Jones, when she's not teaching, helps out in the dress shop. And so she brought some advertisements in there, some of the cards. She became a bridge. Not only that, she talked to the owner of the shop, Luba, whom I guess you've known her for years, huh? And she said, Luba, you ought to come to church. So Luba came. Luda, Luba invited Lydia. And she also brought another co- co-worker. So there were several people just from the Facets dress shop here 
uh, on Sunday night celebrating, and each one of them told me it was just so wonderful. They're so glad to be here. So grace is a great example to us of how to become a bridge. How do you say, Lord, I delight to do your will. What is it you want me to do? Well, it might be that somebody stops in your shop and and they're talking about Christmas and you say, well, join me. It might be as simple as that. Of course, there's one other part of the story. Joyce says, well, did you go over there and get a dress for me for, uh, you know, how that is? (laughs) Have you been back to see Luba? You know, got a card. Here's where it's at. Well, this morning, I hope for you a very, very merry Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I hope that your Christmas is centered in Christ. I hope that you can say, Steve, I know when Christ came into my life. But I hope as you look back to that event, it's just not a past event. But that even today, you say, my heart is wide open. Christ still comes to me, and I live for Christ and delight to do His will as I understand it. That's my hope for you. Uh, Merry Christmas. I'd like to read a prayer. It's printed in your uh, insert, but I'd like to read this to you. It's a prayer that uh, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote many years ago, and maybe it'd be a prayer you would even use today or tomorrow. Shall we pray? O God, our loving Father, help us rightly to remember the birth of Jesus, that we may share in the songs of the angels, the gladness of the shepherds, and the worship of the wise men. May the Christmas morning make us happy to be your children, and the Christmas evening bring us to our beds with grateful thoughts, forgiving and forgiven, for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen.